We um, we've been in this letter, one Timothy, um, over the last five weeks, and today um, is our last um, chapter in that. Which is interesting because honestly, I didn't think I'd be here preaching. Uh, I didn't think I'd get through all of it. Honestly, I thought the baby would be here by now, but um, already um, this child is um, stressing me out already. <laughs> um, so this letter written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, his disciple, was written for the purpose of encouraging Timothy, this young leader, and, and teaching him how Christians ought to conduct themselves in the church. And it's just been such a great letter because it's not just been a, a theological letter, but a very practical letter for all of us as we hear um, what God has to say to us. Now, one of the main messages, one of the main messages that Paul has been hammering home to Timothy is this, is that your faith and your life must align. What you believe and how you live your life must be consistent. There is no point of having faith if it is not lived out in your life. And so as Paul closes this part of his letter, Paul's going to leave Timothy with a bunch of commands. Verse, chapter, uh, verse 2, these are the things you are to teach and insist on. Paul says, not only are you to teach them to your congregation, but to insist on their meaning, make sure you see it happen in their lives. I'm telling you, friends, there is no point in believing in God and believing in his word, if there is no change or transformation in your life, it just doesn't make sense. Now, in this passage, Paul's going to give three negative commandments and three positive commandments. And to be honest, there's a lot in this passage. And so it's going to be one of those weeks where I'm going to do my best to fly over the passage. But then you probably want to talk more about these in your life groups. And so it's going to be, yeah should be a fun life group this week. So let's start with the three negative commandments. Number one, Paul warns against false teachers. So this is 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to verse 3 to 5. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Paul once again brings up false teachers. And this has been a big theme in this church because this has been what it's like in the church of Ephesus. Now, once again, we ask the question, well, what's a false teacher? And Paul defines this. Anyone who does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching. That's who is a false teacher. Anyone that is outside of the teaching of Jesus Christ is a false teacher. And Paul describes them and he says they are arrogant. And ironically, even though they think they know a lot, ironically, they have little understanding. They have an unhealthy interest in peripheral things. And the result of this is envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction. 
Now, once again, their concern of these false teachers, their concern is not the concern of Jesus and his teachings, but of other things. And so Paul says to Timothy later in verse 20, turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. And there's something that's really interesting in that verse that we need to understand is that not all knowledge is truth. Not all knowledge is truth. Just because you know something, just because you get told something, just because you get taught something, does not mean that it is absolute truth. Paul says that the only absolute truth is Jesus Christ and his teachings. And anything outside of that, anything outside of that is false. And that's something that we need to understand because we're a society that is driven by knowledge but not necessarily by truth. Friends, we need to work out what, we need to discern what knowledge is true and what is not. And that's something that Paul tells Timothy and warns him against. Number two, number two, pause. My notes are all gone funny. This is what happens when you have to preach twice. Number two warning is against money grabbers. Verse 9 to 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now these verses in itself, they're a sermon in itself. Right, But Paul calls out these people who want to get rich and the many temptations involved in this. Now, before we move on, we need to make a distinction. Right, Being rich, having money is not a sin. Nor is God unhappy about that. And I know sometimes these verses can be misread. Right, But Paul is not saying being rich is a sin. Right? Money in itself is a commodity that has been given to us by God. It's not money that's the problem. It's what Paul would say in verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. What Paul is warning Timothy about is the unhealthy love and desire and pursuit of money and what that does to people. Temptations and traps, people falling into foolish and harmful desires that lead to ruin and destruction. And ultimately for some, the pursuit of money has led them away from God and away from the faith. Now this shouldn't be news to you if you've been at the church for a while. We have seen, we've seen people leave the church. We've seen people leave God because of their pursuit of money. And if you haven't seen it, hang around in the church long enough and you will. You will. Paul's talking about people who want to pursue money more than they want to pursue God. Jesus says it himself in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one 
and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Someone once said, money is a great servant, but is a horrible master. Friends, if the love of money is your master and is the driver inside of you that is motivating your every day, that simply means that God is not. Right? If, if the pursuit of money is sitting in the driver's seat of your car and holding on to the steering wheel, it simply means that God is not. You cannot have both. And that's why Paul says it's dangerous. The third warning goes to the rich. Verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Now, you read this verse and straight away it tells you it's okay to be rich, right? It's okay to be rich. But as a Christian and as someone that is rich, Paul gives a twofold warning. Number one, don't be arrogant because of what you have, right? Don't put yourself higher than other people because you are rich, because you have things that other people don't have. And secondly, Paul says, do not become dependent on your riches. Do not depend on your finances in your life. Friends, money cannot save you from your sin. Money will not solve all your problems. And as much as you think that the more money I have, the better my life will be. A famous poet once said, more money, more problems. Right? And everyone over the age of 30 understood that, but that's okay. Just look up Google Notorious B.I.G. He's a famous poet in our generation. Don't become dependent on your money. So Paul gives us three negative commandments, three warnings against false teachers, against money grabbers, and against the rich. But he also gives us three positive commandments. The first one is this, learn contentment. Verse 6 to 8, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Do you know the richest person in the world? The richest person in the world is not the one with the most money, but is the one that does not need that money. The one that is content. And Paul says, godliness with contentment is of great gain. He reminds us that material possessions, the stuff that we fill our lives with, they are at best temporary. That we brought nothing into the world and when we leave all this stuff, we cannot take with us. You know, someone once said, have you ever seen a coffin with a ute on the back of it? You don't. Friends, when we die, everything that we have means nothing. Every, every um, treasure that we think that we have, every material possession, when you die, it means nothing. And so what Paul is teaching us is instead of living a life of investing into stuff and more stuff and more stuff, Paul is trying to teach us that we need to learn the art of 
contentment, meaning being satisfied with what you have and with what you don't have. I believe Paul mentions this after the warning of the false teachers because those false teachers, in a sense, they were not content. They were not content. Jesus was not enough for them at the end of the day, so they wanted more. They wanted some other kind of teaching. They wanted some other kind of theology because they were not content with what Jesus had given to them. So they went looking for more. Friends, Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Number two, the positive command to pursue the right things. Verse 11 to 16. But you, man of God, flee all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and the only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Once again, after the warning of the pursuit of riches, Paul shows us what we should be pursuing then. And that is righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Paul reminds us that the faith journey, the Christian journey, isn't a slippery slide. It's not a nice walk on the beach. It's not a gentle boat ride down still waters. Do you know what it is? It's a battle. It's a fight. That's why he says, fight the good fight. Can I tell you, friends, it's not that when you become a Christian, suddenly all of this stuff, right? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. You don't become a Christian and it suddenly just turns up. Right? You've got to fight for it. You've got to fight to walk with Jesus. That's like saying you go to the gym, you walk in the door and suddenly... You've got all these muscles. It doesn't make sense. I'm telling you, I've walked through the gym many a time. It doesn't happen. You've got to put in the work. Any, everyone knows that. But you know what's funny? We laugh about the gym analogy, and yet, and yet in our spiritual lives, this is what we expect. But I go to church every week. But I open my scripture once a week. I pray before I eat my meals. Why am, I, why am I not spiritually growing? Well, that's as ridiculous as, you know, going to the gym and walking through and going, why am I not healthy? Why am I losing weight? Why are my muscles still the same? Right? Friends, the spiritual journey is a battle. It's an uphill battle. They don't just, things just don't turn up. And the, the reality is this, if you're not moving forward and moving towards God, right? If you're not fighting every day to pursue your relationship with God, ultimately you're actually stagnant and you're either moving backwards or you're moving sideways to the other temptations of this world or to put it dead set straight, right? You're just spiritually dead. 
That's one of the reasons why you don't see fruit in your life because you're just a dead tree. And that's something that you need to work this out. Because Jesus talks about the narrow gate and the narrow path. I don't know. I don't know why that, 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 that phrase keeps coming over and over to me. But, but I, I think why, why I want to share that with you is I think for some of us, we've got a really warped sense of reality and about what it means to be a Christian. And I think that's what Paul is trying to get to Timothy. It's not easy to be a Christian, let alone stay a Christian. It's not easy to grow in your faith. It's not easy to mature. And the, and the technical word is sanctification, to become more like Christ. Right? You've got to work. You've got to fight for it. You know, Paul also reminds us to have an eternal perspective. This is a reminder that the life we live on earth, even though it might feel like it's a long journey, actually, in the eternal scheme of things, this life is a dot at best. Like, we think that this life is it. So we invest everything into this life to have the best life possible. But my friends, I'm telling you, on the scope of eternity, this life is a smudge. It's a smudge. And so when we think eternally, when we think of an eternal perspective, I remember as a, as a pastor and he says, look, if you're trying to wonder if this is important or not, think about this. What will it look like in 10,000 years? Really, what you eat today, is that going to matter in 10,000 years? Really, who you marry, what kind of job you have, is it going to matter in 10,000 years? And you know what the answer is? 99.9% .9 of our lives, it won't matter in 10,000 years. There's only one thing that's going to matter, and that's whether you have a personal relationship with Jesus. We've got to keep an eternal perspective because that's what will give us context in the way that we live our lives. Right? So pursue the right things. Thirdly, put your hope in God. Verse 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, once again, Paul is going to speak to the rich. And before you think, oh, wait a minute, I'm just a student, or wait a minute, I'm not really rich, right? Here's a quote. If you've got food in your fridge, clothes on your body, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of this entire world. What Paul is referring to as rich is every single one of us. There's no one in this room that worries about what they're going to eat tonight. There's no one in this room that is concerned about where they're going to sleep tonight. Friends, I know that when we think rich, we think of the mega rich and famous rich, rich, right? Paul's not talking about them. Paul's talking to all of us. It's a responsibility that we have, that God gives to us, that we're meant to steward, right? So Paul says to the rich, here's the uh, commandment. There are four things in this. Number one, do good. Rich people, do good. Do good things, Right? Secondly, be rich in good deeds. Not just one good deed, but be rich in them. 
right? So many times we think as long as we do one good thing, done, ticked it off in my lifetime. No. The responsibility for the rich is to continue to be rich in good deeds. You know, friends, you don't get rich with one dollar. You don't get rich earning one hour's worth of work. You don't get rich by going to work once in your lifetime. You got to continue to build and build and build. And that's what Paul's saying. Be rich in good deeds. Thirdly, be generous. Live a life of generosity. And finally, be willing to share. Help those who are in need. There's a famous finance guy in the States these days by the name of Dave Ramsey. I just found out that he was a Christian. And one of the things that he was saying was money, money amplifies what desires you already have in your heart. Right? Money amplifies the desires that you already have in your heart. And he said, if you're, if you're generous when you're poor, then when you have money or when you become rich, you become more generous. But if you're stingy when you're poor, then it doesn't matter how much money you have. That stinginess actually becomes more amplified. And I think that's so true. It's all about what's already in the heart. Paul reminds us, that what we do in this lifetime will result in eternity. And instead of storing up temporary treasures on earth, to invest into treasures in heaven. Unlike the rich who depend on their wealth, Paul says, put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Not in the stock market. Not in your income. Not in your savings. But put your hope in God. Why? Because God is the owner of all things. It's a reminder that everything that we have comes from God because everything belongs to God, not you. Friends, at the end of the day, if you say you believe in God, if you say you believe in God, if you say I'm going to be a disciple of God, then you are going to follow his son Jesus. If you say you're a Christian and that your number one priority is Jesus and his kingdom, then that's what you will live for. But the problem is this, we don't. If you look at your life, Look at your schedule. Look at your bank account. Look at how you, who you hang out with. Friends, if it's not leading towards God and his kingdom, but these things are leading back to you and your own kingdom, you've got to be honest. Be honest with yourself and ask yourself, who is it that I really live for? Because it's not God. See, that's the problem. The problem is the inconsistencies that are in our lives. See, for me, right, one of the frustrations for me is just call it as it is. You don't want to follow God? 
You want to live for yourself? You want to build up a portfolio of properties? You want to be rich? You want to be famous? You want to live for your own kingdom? Fine. Do it. Obviously, that's not what I want for you. But if that's what you want, and that's how you're living your life, then just call it what it is. Don't go walking around under some, some kind of spiritual pretense. Thinking that coming to church for an hour and a half a week, you know, giving the crumbs of your finances to God, giving the leftovers, if anything, of your time with God, and go, yeah, I'm, I'm committed to God. That's rubbish. It's a lie. But the funniest thing is, the only person you're fooling is yourself. For me, I'm asking, just be consistent. You don't want it, great. You don't want it. Don't have it, right? And, and you know what? Money is great. I'm not one of those anti-money pastors, right? Sound like an in- Italian dish right then, right? Anti-money pastors. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm not like that. I'm not, I'm not on the other side. I'm not prosperity like, you know, you need to give more to get more. I'm not like that either. But I, I'm definitely not anti-money. You want to give me money? Yes, thank you. I will, I will more than happily receive your money. Plenty of things I can do with it. But here's the thing. Money is great. You know, being rich, please, be rich. Right? And be my friend. Right? Right? Be rich. But if that's what you're going to commit your life to, if that's what you're going to pursue in your life, then what, you know what I'm going to say? You will get exactly what you want. If you're going to spend your life pursuing riches and finances, right? You will get exactly what you paid for. You will get a comfortable life. You will get an amazing portfolio. You will have a beautiful house. And you will have an expensive coffin. And you know what? You might even go one more step. In the cemetery that you're buried in, you might even get the nicest piece of land. The, the, the piece of land that looks out on the ocean. You know? You might be buried next to Kim Kardashian. Not that she'd be buried here. But, you, you know, you might be buried in the celebrity, the rich and famous section of the cemetery. But take a moment to think about this. If that's the best, and if that's the highlight of your life, having so much good stuff, a comfortable life, an amazing coffin, and the most beautiful plot to be buried in, if that's the best that your life has to offer, and you've got God telling you, I've got eternity I've got eternal life waiting for you I'm telling you now friends you are selling yourself short friends be rich but be rich in godliness be rich in good deeds be rich and be generous Look after what God has given to you. 
As you pursue God's kingdom, build God's kingdom and not your own. But remember, at the end of the day, you and I, we're travelers. The biblical word for this is sojourners, right? Someone that is a sojourner is one that travels in and then out of a country. That's what we are. We're sojourners. We're, we're me travelers. Friends, the biggest decision in your life is not who should I marry. It's not what house should I buy. It's not what career should I pursue. It's not how big do I want my super to be when I retire. The biggest decision in your life will be, do I know the God of creation who has all of eternity ready for me in his kingdom? And am I committed to following him versus the trials and temptations of this world? Because I'm telling you now, friends, if you do not know God, and I'm not talking no about God, I'm not talking about knowing things, facts and figures and stories about him. I'm talking about do you know him personally? Do you have a personal relationship with his son, Jesus? Because if you do not, Scripture tells us over and over again, you will not spend eternity with him. And literally, the highlight of all of eternity in, for you is going to be this crummy life. Friends, remember we are travelers. Remember we are just Travelers in this world, and this world is temporary. Friends, there are two things that this letter challenges us with in 1 Timothy. Number one is this Do you know the truth? Do you know the truth? Scripture says the truth, absolute truth, not relative truth, absolute truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. Anything outside of that is what we call false. Do you know the truth? And secondly, do you live out that truth? Because what's the point of knowing truth if you don't live it out? Is your doctrine and your life consistent or are there gaps? Because you know what, friends? God wants the best for us. He wants, us, he wants the best for us in this life and in the next and if you truly believe that, if you truly believe that this world is mere temporary, then you're not going to invest into the things of this world. But you're going to invest into the kingdom. You're going to run to him and not the things of this world. Friends, know the truth. Because it's this truth, the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus that he died on the cross for your sin, the forgiveness that only he can give. And it's this truth that will set you free. Friends, this is what it means to be a Christian. And this is how we are to conduct ourselves in God's house. Now, let me put a little note as I finish. It doesn't mean it's easy. It would be naive for me to say, here's the truth. This is how you live. Go and do it. And then go, why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you doing it? 
You know, the struggle is real. Temptation is real. Addiction is real. And honestly, there are certain things in your life, there are certain things in your life you can't let go of. There are certain things that you can't stop pursuing. And I know sometimes we feel destroyed. We feel helpless. You know, we've been trying to get over this for years and years and years and and we just can't. But I just want to remind you tonight. The beauty of our God is this. He doesn't go, go fix yourself and come back. He says, let's walk on this journey together. And scripture tells us, that even though we think things may be impossible, through him who gives us strength, all things can be done. So I want to encourage you with that. I want to rebuke you and encourage you, right? Bread, meat, bread. Right? You guys don't know that? Okay. Bread, meat, bread. Soft, hard, soft. Right? That's how we love you. I want, I want you to feel challenged and rebuked, but I also want you to feel encouraged and loved. Because that's what the Spirit of God does for us. It shakes us up, but also embraces us as well. So friends, let us live this life. Let us live this life consistently knowing the truth and living out that truth in our lives. Let's pray.